Well, good morning again, and welcome to those joining us online. Special greeting to um, Jim and Lori and uh, Jonathan also. Uh, I know you can't be out because of medical reasons, and so we just appreciate our online family, and it's great to be here in person, but also to have uh, people just uh, online uh, meeting with us also. Today we continue on with our series, Leftovers, and there's people out there that either love leftovers or hate them. Yeah, someone just already said that, not so much. And uh, today as we talk about communion, and we also speak a little bit more about baptism, uh, hopefully this will be something fresh for many of you as we discuss what that all means. And for some of us, uh, maybe it's a tasty leftover that's in the back of the refrigerator that we've been kind of saving to enjoy just one more time as we talk about these two, two uh, symbols. Now, when we think about symbols, our world is full of symbols. Uh, you look at these and uh, you get all kinds of responses. Uh, we all uh, have different feelings to all these products, and we understand that each of those images, each of those logos, each of those symbols stands behind and means something. And uh, the same is true with these two symbols we're going to be talking about that Jesus left for us to practice and engage and to remember, because he knew that they would be important to us and be encouraging to us no matter what age or stage we are in life. And uh, we, there's all kinds, you know, we can get into little issues about whether you're a Pepsi guy, Coke guy, whatever. Uh, sometimes, oh, see, so you can't, can't, even, can't even go zipping by that. Someone's got to say what they're for. And then, you know, there's this one that I, I don't understand why there's even a discussion between this, you know, an iPhone and an Android. Um, I, I guess I got to be a little bit more fair, but, uh, you know, I just don't get that. And then, of course, there's this. And then some of us just live in conflict, and there's this. I, oh, what do I do about that? And then again, just like the phones, I don't understand that there's any difference or any problem with which one's the one you should be drinking. But anyway, the world is full of symbols, and Jesus knew that having symbols in our life, not a million symbols, but a specific couple symbols would actually be meaningful for us and helpful for us. So today we're going to take a look at those and we're going to think about those a little bit. And obviously the first symbol we talked about this morning, we actually saw in place is this idea of baptism. If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? And the symbolicness of this in immersion is, uh, we would say that uh, Paul talks about how clear this is. If you and I have said yes to Christ, we're connected with him, his Holy Spirit uh, lives a part of our life, in our life. And so when we get baptized, we're not earning his love, we're celebrating his love. So we are buried, in a sense, under the water, and then we rise again with him into new life. And so that's really what the symbol of baptism is. Uh, there are some groups out there who would say that some kind of special grace is delivered with baptism. Uh, we would politely disagree with that. We would say you're celebrating something that's already took place in your life. And so you're, you're going public with your faith. This is not cementing your faith. This is not signing it on the dotted line. This is though saying, I have decided to follow Christ the best way I know how as I begin this relationship with him. 
And then there's also this idea that goes along with this. This is what happens in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind us. We came up out of the water. We entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection. So you can see the symbolism there, and you can see why we do this form rather than a different kind of form. And again, as we talk about this, this is called believer's baptism. It's you believe and then you get baptized rather than having uh, the baptism, in a sense, kind of do something for your grace. So, so why, why do we do this? Uh, what's some basics behind baptism? And uh, what is our thinking when we are baptized or when we celebrate communion? Again, we're going to be shifting a little bit more over to the meaning of communion. And uh, really, when we come to see these events, uh, we watch this. Uh, baptism, we're going to say it's once. Uh, when we watch that and when we celebrate communion on a regular basis, it's really this idea that Paul talks about coming to this meal in holy awe. Coming to these events and going, wow, I can't believe that God would want to be have a relationship with me in spite of this thing called sin, which is our selfishness, it's our human condition. Um, we've talked about this before. You don't necessarily have to teach a child to sin. It's built in. It's hardwired into them. It's not like when they're young, you have to say, oh, take this from your brother and then hit them with it. No, you don't have to tell them that. They kind of just know how to do that. And it's this self-centered kind of thing, and uh, we need to deal with this. So when we come to any of these events, we come to it with an awe that Christ would do this for us, that God would uh, have his son come and die for us and then be rose again. And again, the, the power of that is in the resurrection. If he just came and died for us, that would be unbelievable. But the fact that God rose him again gives the power, also gives us the hope that our eternity, our future, our next chapter of life, when this chapter of life is over, is connected and sure with him because of his death and resurrection. And so when you and I do this, it's this idea of representation. Now, there are some groups out there, again, and I've mentioned this, that that uh, feel that more is going on. For example, when we celebrate communion, there are groups out there that think that the actual bread and the juice become the body of Christ, the physical body of Christ. And uh, you'll notice that uh, groups that have this perspective, when they're cleaning up after communion, they're very careful with what's left over, like the leftover juice, the leftover wine, because they believe that's actually the body of Christ. And so we see it as representing it, not being the actual body of Christ. And then there's another group that's kind of in between, and they, they won't say it's not, but they won't say it's just symbolism, and it's kind of in between. But then we come from the perspective that it's symbolic. It represents what Christ did for us, and that's very powerful. Uh, when you and I celebrate communion and we're really digesting soul-wise, mind-wise, what Christ had done for us, and looking to walking with him, it, it actually does something in our life spiritually. We sometimes talk about it recalibrating us. 
Uh, I used to have a watch that uh, could tell how the altimeter was built into it, and the way it worked is it, is it recorded the barometric pressure. And so when you would start off and you knew what your elevation was, you would set it so it matched that. And as you gained elevation, the, the pressure would change, and it would help anticipate your, your elevation, up or down, and, and those kinds of things. But you had to recalibrate it every time you really were going to use it. Likewise, those of us who are Christ followers, those who have said yes, need to regularly be recalibrated. Uh, we tend to drift. There's a hymn that says, prone to wander. And that just kind of seems to be a residual effect of our sin, our disobedience, our selfishness. And so we want to recalibrate. So a part of communion um, helps that to take place. When we see baptism, it renews and strengthens us. Those who have, who have already said yes to Christ and those who have already baptized, it's going, wow, somebody else wants to follow Christ. So it's very, very powerful. Again, this idea that our connection, our identifying, identifying with Christ, this idea of being buried and risen again with him. And these things represent that. Uh, communion. And when he had given thanks, this is Jesus, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. Covenant is just a fancy word for agreement. New agreement in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, when we hear that in blood, that's kind of gross and all those kinds of things. And yes, it is. If you look at the Older Testament, you're going to see a whole sacrificial system. It was not pleasant. It wasn't supposed to be pleasant. It was supposed to point to the fact that you and I needed a perfect lamb. It foreshadowed Jesus coming. That's the reason you sometimes hear Jesus referring to, behold the Lamb of God that takes away sins. It's that idea being worked into this. So the Older Testament points to Christ, and yes, the Older Testament tells us that without uh, the shedding of blood, there's no remission, there's no forgiveness, there's no takeaway of sin. So this is very powerful when you and I celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we're remembering uh, it's, it's symbolic. It's also a declaration. And again, we're declaring, we're saying something. When someone gets baptized, they're declaring that they're following Christ. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. It means that they're going in that direction. They hope to follow him. They hope to work salvation, their relationship with God, into all the parts of their life. The fancy word for that is called sanctification, the working out of your salvation. It doesn't mean you're working for your salvation. It's you're integrating it into your life. Continuing on in my life, I continue to work, integrate what it means to follow God, follow Christ in relationship with him, not just a set of rules, what that means and how that shows up in my life. And I've shared this with before. The longer you've been a Christ follower, maybe a lot of this happens on the inside, not on the outside. So there's things, there's ideas, there's concepts, there's desires, there's all this kind of stuff that's happening in the inside. I've kind of figured out what it looks means to look like a Christian on the outside, and that's fine, but there still needs to be internal work. And so I continue to work out my salvation. And again, uh, communion, baptism is a declaration of that. Baptism is a one-time declaration of that. And a communion is a remembrance. It's an ongoing thing. Every time you taste this bread and every time you place the cup to your mouths and drink, you are declaring, telling others 
that the, about the Lord's death was the ultimate expression of his faithfulness and love until he comes again. We've already hinted at this a little bit, but when do we do these things? When do we celebrate communion? When do we get baptized? And the idea is this thing when, when we have said yes to Christ. And we, as baptism, it's one time. And uh, if, as a believer, you get baptized, uh, sometimes some of us may have been baptized as children, and it's not to take anything away from the good intentions of our parents, but we want to experience a believer's baptism where we decide about faith as an individual. Faith is so individual. It's you. It's not what your parents believe. They flavor your life, yes, but it's what you believe. We can't be on the sh um, shirt how does it go? Uh, shirt tails of our parents, right? That, that, that's great and everything, but it's got to be our choice. And so when the early church began, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is in Jerusalem. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This was the idea. Is basically every time they got together, they were so in awe of what Christ had done for them, they celebrated it. Now, we celebrate communion once a month, usually. This month, we'll celebrate it twice because we have Thanksgiving service on a Sunday night, and we just thought that that's good for us to do. Um, you can celebrate communion at home. You don't need a paid pastor or a pastor or a deacon. It is something anyone can celebrate, and you can do that at home. I know at times as a family, on Thanksgiving, our family, not every Thanksgiving, but sometimes we actually do communion as a part of our Thanksgiving celebration because we want to thank God for the gift of his son. And so, again, when it comes to baptism, the when and the who is this idea of whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but those who do not believe will be judged guilty. And again, we don't want to tie belief and baptism. In Jesus' day, when people saw someone getting baptized, they knew exactly what it meant. It meant that that person was following the teaching of the person that was baptizing, or sometimes the teacher's disciples would baptize. So if you thought the teaching of Joe Smuckatelli was wonderful and you were going to follow him, you would get baptized by him or one of his followers, and then everyone would say, hey, that guy's following so-and-so. So people knew, so in our culture, we want to explain this, we want people to understand, and the bottom line is it's going public saying, I'm going to follow you. So as a believer, you decide, as the Lord leads in your heart, to get baptized uh, because you want to express what has happened in your heart. So the idea of um, what, what or when. And then, or who, excuse me. So who also has this idea on the first day of the week? This is Christ followers uh, regularly break bread. They celebrate the Lord's Supper. Again, there are some churches out there that celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday, and that's great. There are some churches that celebrate it once a month. I've been to some churches that, because they're so large, they celebrate it twice a year, and they have a special service just because it's the way they do it. There's no steadfast rule, but the beauty of, uh, beauty of communion and baptism is it reminds us of our responsibility to follow Christ and, and what that means. So as we think of these symbols and we think about remembering, um, it's just not about remembering. It's about showing up in our lives. So we ask how. How do we uh, show that, in a sense, we've been recalibrated, that we've declared 
our faith in Christ. And when it comes to communion, one of the things we do is we want to be grateful and we want to look back and remember what we have in Christ. So a part of our communion service is to remember what Christ did for us. And uh, that part of remembering is a little somber because we know Jesus died for us. Perfect. He gave his life for us. And so we want to have a sense of celebration, a sense of being grateful. We look back and remember what you have. And as we start to go through these four ideas, these four concepts, it really is a recalibration if we really reflect on it. And then when we recalibrate, something spiritual has happened in our heart because it changes the way we have our outlook on life. And at least, I don't know about you, but I occasionally need, as they may say, an attitude adjustment. And so communion can be a part of that. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. And when the writer of Hebrews is referring to a priest, he's referring to Jesus being our priest priest, our intermediate, our one between God, and he is our priest. And what's wonderful about Jesus is he experienced what it's like to be fully human, except in every situation of testing, said no to sin and didn't sin. And that's what makes him the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for us. Another portion in Hebrews reads, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, that's key, perfect, unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death so we may serve the living God. So we look back with a sense of gratefulness, and that starts to do some work on our heart. There's also this idea of joy. Um, we look forward and renew our hope. Um, it gives us peace. It gives us strength. We are fortunate in our country that things are pretty good. Even on a bad day, things are pretty good compared to other places in the world. But there still are days when you and I feel heavy and let down. Uh, circumstances weigh us down. Well, when we celebrate communion... And uh, we look forward to the day when Christ will set everything right. We look forward to the day when we will spend eternity with him in heaven and ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. So we have that hope. So we renew that hope. So the idea is that when we leave this place, we don't only have gratefulness, but we also have a joy. There's a bounce in our step because no matter what is going on in our crazy world, we know how the story ends. We know what God's intention is, and it's just playing out right now. And we look forward to that day where we will be with him. In 1 Corinthians, we read, no one has ever seen or heard anything like this Never so much as imagined anything quite like it, what God has arranged for those who love him. Any of us, when that day comes, whether he comes back first or we go to be with him, when we arrive in heaven, when there's a new heavens and a new earth, there's none of us who are going to say, you know, this is nice, but I think I'll go back home to earth, planet earth. It won't work that way. We don't understand what eternity will be like with God. 
We understand that it will be better, wonderful. It will be no effect of sin, but still, we can't totally get our mind around it, but we can have our hope renewed, have a joy. Also with this is a part of this is humility. We look within and refocus our search, and you go, well, that sounds a little bit odd to me, but it's this idea of we celebrate communion and we look into our hearts, we let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts as we're, before we eat, and the bread and the cup, bread and drink the cup. And the idea is that you and I, when we celebrate communion, are saying, how is my relationship with God going? First of all, we need to ask, do I really have a relationship with God? Is my life based on rules without relationship? Um, Have I said yes? So we have this humility. And also we know we never arrive, so all of us, no matter how long we've been following Christ, need to slow down regularly, and communion helps us do that, slow down regularly and say, what is going on in my heart? What do I need to do? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to think? Where does my kindness level need to be? And we ask the Lord, where do I need some adjustment? And we do that with humility because we're saying, I'm not too proud to say that I'm not all arrived, that I do need to change, I do need to grow. So with humility, we look within, refocus our search when we celebrate communion. Now, when we don't do that, you know, sometimes people ask, well, what if the person really did has never said yes to Christ? What if they're not a Christian and they celebrate communion? Well, you know, it's nothing really is going to happen to you. It's just, just kind of like you going through the motions of something that doesn't mean anything to you. I think it's more serious when a Christ follower celebrates their relationship with God, but they're really not pursuing their relationship with God. Paul writes, if you give no thought, or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running this risk of serious consequences. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than later. And it's that idea of dealing with things now. And sometimes, as a Christ follower, we just go through the motions. Um, We don't come to the meal with a holy awe. We're not moved by thinking of someone that's following Christ. We kind of just, oh, oh, um, that's not good. And that kind of, in a sense, cheapens what Christ did for us. Uh, That's kind of like disrespectful. It's kind of showing contempt for a God that sent his son to die for us. So we want to stop and do inventory of what is going on in our heart. And what's wonderful is we don't have to stay there. Often when I'm celebrating, or we're celebrating communion, we read this verse, it says, count yourself blessed, how happy you must be, you get a fresh start, your slate's wiped clean, count yourself fortunate, God's holding nothing against you, and you're holding nothing back from him. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder, my words became day-long groans, The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, I'll make a clean break of my failures to God. Suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. Can you just say, 
Ah, you know, when you and I are holding out some area of life, and we've kind of blocked it off from God, and finally we say, I'm going to come clean with you, God. I want forgiveness. I want to repent. I want to change my reaction or my interaction with whatever that is you're leading. And we start to move that direction. There's relief. All of us have been in those situations where emotionally and spiritually we've been off because we've been holding on to something. Maybe it's sin. It probably is sin. And it just kind of, and it, it, it just, it, it does affect us physically. Uh, sometimes when I'm not carrying my life the way I ought to and I'm stressed out about it, I get headaches. Now, not all headaches are because of that, but sometimes it's because I'm just, just not releasing something. I'm wound up tight. And uh, God says, when you give it to me, you can have release. So when we celebrate communion, it's not about feeling guilty and woe is me, I'm such a bad person, and da, 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 da. It's about being convicted, yes, but then ushering change in your life and being freed from the chains. Sometimes we sing about that the chains of sin have been broken. And that is just a great place to be. You heard a little bit of the flavors of that and some of the stories from the baptism. When they finally started moving in the direction of God, there was relief. There wasn't lots of guilt. There was relief. Also, when you and I think about communion and we think about what baptism means, it's just not about feeling good about ourselves. It's just not about being all set. It's this idea that you and I should look around and see how we can serve others. Serve, look around, and redeploy your love. Your love and peace isn't just for you. That's pretty selfish. It's for you to be loving and kind to others. That's one reason we have that little envelope for the love offering. That's beyond our regular giving. So we as a church family, when there's a need, can just jump in and take care of it. And what's amazing is over the last four months, you folks, in your generosity, has enabled us to give over $12,000 away to situations in need. That's beyond regular giving. That's love offering giving. And so we have a faith not to just hunker down and be a holy huddle inside these four walls. We have a faith to export to others. So when you and I celebrate communion, when we walk away from a baptism, it cause, should cause us to want to serve, to look around and see how can I come alongside a needy world? How can I come along somebody in our church family that needs help? How can I come alongside someone in the community? How can I come alongside someone around the world? And that's a little bit of what Operation Christmas Child is about. The Corinthian church was not doing this right. I'm not going to read all these passages, but basically they made communion. It was a potluck kind of dinner. I used to like to call it the potluck disaster. They made it all about one-upping people. Like someone would bring fancy food, and the other person who didn't have the means to have any food would sit at their communion service hungry. What? Yes, that's what would happen. They were not being loving and kind. So the idea Paul is saying, wait a minute, if you have faith... If, if you've been baptized, if you're identified, gone public with Christ, if you celebrate communion, if you look back, you look to the hope of the future, you look within, you ought to look around. You ought to export your faith. 
1 John 4.11 says this, Dear friends, if this is how God loved us, then we should love one another. So this idea that our faith isn't just for us, it isn't for us just to feel good, our faith is to export to others. So this morning's bottom line is this, how you look is determined where you look. Where you look in the sense of where you look at the cross, where you look at these symbols, where you look at baptism and what it means, where you look at communion. When you look in the right place, it changes how you look, how people are going to see you because the love of Christ is going to drip from your life, from my life. Love this verse. If this is careless participation, which is the reason for many feeble and sickly Christians in your church, and the explanation of the fact that many of you are spiritually asleep, when you and I are not in awe of what baptism means, in awe of the holy meal of communion, we are basically asleep spiritually. And you have to ask yourself that question. Am I asleep spiritually? Again, how you look, what people perceive going on in your life, what you present is determined by where you look. Do you look to identifying with Christ? Do you look to the holy meal and all that communion means with awe? Would you please pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the love you have given to us in the form of your Son. We thank you for the symbolism of baptism and how we, we can't walk away thinking about your death, burial, and resurrection and the power of that and how that can transform us and change us from the inside out, how it can give us the promise of a relationship with you now that walks us right into eternity. We thank you. We're grateful for that. We celebrate that. And Lord, I ask that if there's anyone here who's trying to figure out what does it really mean to say yes to you, what does that look like, that even in these moments they would realize their need for a Savior, they wouldn't have it all figured out, but they'd place their trust in you, that you died or rose again, paid the price for their sins, and that they can begin that relationship with you and follow you. And all that comes along with that in this chapter of life and what is promised in the next chapter of life. So we thank you for that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.